Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I'm puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Welcome on in. It is Overtime with Jonathan Peter. I'm glad you guys could all be with me here on this Tuesday. I feel good. I feel like an idiot today, but I feel good. About a half hour ago, I went I, I went and gotten some beef jerky because I was feeling good about, uh, I don't know, I just want a beef jerky. I don't have to explain why I want a beef jerky. I want a beef jerky. I didn't have a salad today, and so I threw myself completely off. I've been eating salads, been throwing them in the mix. Yesterday, I actually went and got, like, tomatoes and everything, too, in order to... I had tomatoes, I had cucumbers, I had green peppers. I was basically going to try to replicate the salad that I typically order from a place before I get into work every day, and I was going to try to make my own version of it at home, and and I got all the ingredients yesterday. I already had the salad mix and everything. I had uh, the different protein that I like to throw in there, and everything was all good, and I had to go to the grocery store. I picked it all up, and, and then today, I just completely... I just, I just, I just messed. I messed up. I just, I just, I didn't have it any sort of way. And so then like 6.30 came, not only did I not have the salad, but then I was feeling a little hungry. And so I went to the grocery store near the studio and I was like, you know what? Beef jerky's healthy. Haven't had beef jerky in forever. Let's have some beef jerky. And so I went and I got a bag of beef jerky and then I'm eating this bag of beef jerky. I seen Nick. Nick's going to the bathroom and Nick on his way was like, oh, what you got there? I'm like, some beef jerky. He's like, oh, I just made some beef jerky. Now, anyone that follows Nick on Instagram, Twitter, any of the million platforms knows that Nick is a pretty good cook. I haven't experienced it firsthand with the exception of, like, a Super Bowl party maybe five years ago where I feel like he ordered pizza and did not make meats, the meats that he normally would have made. I don't know why he didn't make the meats. Maybe he wasn't as good at that point. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know the history there. Forgive me if I'm wrong on that. I just don't know. But he had good food. I remember him having good food there. Definitely had good food. But he posts all these photos all the time about the different meats that he has, and I'm yet to taste any of the good food. And so uh, he offered it up. He was like, "Oh, I can get you. I can get you some some beef jerky. Just made some over the past weekend. Would love to give you some beef jerky. Love to see what you think about how I made it." And but he did it so in a way where he knew he knew he made he made some good beef jerky. And then my bird brain, I'm over here like, no, I don't, you know, I, if you bring that, then I'm going to have to ask you for it all the time. And I really, it's just, it's better just to not even go down that road. The hell was I thinking? Michael Bohm's one rule in life is always take free food. And I just completely slapped that in the face. And I knew, I knew instantly. Moment I said it, I said, that was a bad decision on my behalf. I should have just, even if it was the world's greatest beef jerky, which it has a, a real opportunity of being, then you have it once, and then you just think about it often. But I think that was my worry. My worry was I would have this beef jerky because I know how good he is at cooking and making things. I'd have this beef jerky. It'd be the world's greatest beef jerky, and then I'd be putting orders in for beef jerky like he works at the, the grocery store or something. Is it one of those things like going to Italy and eating Italian food, and it's yes. like now American food will never, American Italian food will yes. never taste the same? Yes. Not only did I ruin pizza for myself, but I also ruined any sort of future pizza. Yes, 100% right. There is such a thing as ruining your taste buds with what you believe to be exceptional food. 
So my wife, we like to go to all these different restaurants all the time, right? Like that's kind of one of our hobbies. It's what we like to do. We like to go to all these different restaurants, and and because you know she got really into that as a, as a hobby for herself, we get invited to all sorts of restaurants on her behalf. And so we're always at these really nice Cleveland restaurants, and the Cleveland restaurant scene is amazing. But sometimes we'll go to a restaurant now, and we'll go to a restaurant on our own, or even you know with my wife on on as an, uh, a guest of hers. And I know this food would have been awesome to me three, four years ago, but my palate's changed, and I'm a little bit. I'm not a food snob by any sense of the measurement. I am not, but I definitely have ate so much extremely good food in the previous three, four years that I, I, I know for a fact my level of what I deem to be like knock your socks off great has just completely changed, completely changed. But there is something to the idea. Of having a food that you think is just all time, one of one, and then not having it at your disposal, that I think is one of the cruelest things you can do to yourself. For instance, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, as you guys know. I've been thinking about tavern style south side Chicago pizza for years, years. And every time I go to Chicago, I obviously make sure that I get tavern-style Southside Chicago pizza, and it's awesome. But the entire time, I just I always think to myself, this pizza's good. It's not tavern-style, and it's not what I grew up on, and it's not what I love. And there's a part of me that honestly wishes that I never had that experience to begin with anyway. Kind of similar with this beef jerky. I'm going to try this beef jerky if I'm lucky enough to get some of Nick's beef jerky, and it's going to be awesome, but then I can't just place my order. The thing might as well be based in Chicago. The thing might as well be based on Mars. I can't be like, hey, Nick, how about you get, you, you get me up some uh, some beef jerky, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pay you 25 bucks for it. I'll pay you 30 bucks for it, whatever it ends up being, and you just make me beef jerky? Not a chance in hell. It'll be a one-of-one. One. Now, there is the other spin on that, though. It could be so awesome that I then just encourage him to make a beef jerky company. And then Nick Wilson, forget the, the mega millions, forget all playing all these lottery stuff. Nick Wilson just becomes a, you know, a beef jerky tycoon and all of a sudden is worth millions of dollars. Could you imagine that going to the store and seeing beef jerky there and it's got like, Nick's face is a cartoon character because that's what always happens on beef jerky. It's either an animal or it's the person, and the person's got the cartoon face on it. And it's like, Wilson's beef jerky with 75 different flavors. And then, pow, $12 per, uh, per case. Well, now you have to get it because you gotta, you got to inspire him here. I, I need him to make a chicken jerky for me because I don't eat beef. Chicken jerky? Or a nice turkey jerky, even. Turkey jerky. That might be a little bit down the line, though. That that sounds advanced, if I'm being honest about it. That, sound, that sounds like that might take a lot. I'm just saying, if Nick Wilson made that, I'd try the hell out of it. I mean, we're just creating businesses out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm an idea guy. That's who I I'm an idea guy. I am not a put-into-action guy. I lack execution in all areas of life. I am, I'm a big idea guy. I lack execution. But I know I would push this. And then, you know, down the line, this would be Nick's retirement plan. Just just creating beef jerky. Could you imagine how easy that would be to market, by the way? Think about it. There's there's hosts in Atlanta that have, uh, and, and they're not the only ones. They're just the only ones I can think of right now. Radio hosts. There's sports talk radio hosts in Atlanta that have their own beer. Uh, you guys know Carl Dukes. Carl Dukes is on CBS Sports Radio on Sunday mornings. Put him up. That Carl Dukes, that guy. Anytime you're listening to the fans Sunday morning before Spencer and you hear someone yell, put him up, that's Carl Dukes. He's got his own beer in Atlanta. 
him and that afternoon show. It's like it's the Dukes and Bell. They got their own beer. And I pro- I proposed this before on the radio that Ken and Anthony should have their own beer. And I don't know, maybe like one of the flavors could just be congratulations on all of your success, IPA. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do with it. Slippery Wizard IPA. There's a lot of areas you can do this and make it really work and then make it awesome. And the show could benefit. They could benefit. Could you imagine doing a Tall Boy Friday where it's just a a, a 24-ounce can of Ken and Anthony's beer and Ken puts it down and says, enjoy your Tall Boy Friday, ladies and gentlemen? Come on. This stuff writes itself. What are we doing? Forget the writer's strike. I'm just out here writing things. Nick and Dustin's Beef Jerky. We can't call it Afternoon Drive Beef Jerky. That won't play at all. It's got to have their names on it. But Nick Wilson, Dustin Fox Beef Jerky, you telling me that's not at every child's uh, camp, football camp across Northeast Ohio? you got to make it smoother, like more efficient, like Nick and Fox or something. Well, we got to play into the Fox thing. If we're going to rope Dustin into this, and, and Dustin just gets... I don't know why Dustin gets roped into this, but Dustin gets roped into this. Then maybe the character actually gets to be a fox. Instead of the, instead of the printout of Nick Wilson's character face, it would just be, it would be the fox on there. And then it could be, you know, we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. There's a lot of different things that that afternoon show could end up having that would be branded that I think could end up doing all right. But anyway, so missed opportunity by me, but I'm glad you guys could all be with here, uh, with me here today. And enjoying uh, just a nice little Tuesday. And where I want to start with you guys is there's not going to be any tie-in. There's not going to be any sort of, you know, hey, I saw this and it's spurred. No, no, no. Uh, this topic came from me just talking last night. Me talking last night and then I had the realization as I was going through with it. And I said, we got to explore that a little bit more at some point. And this is that some point. Every conversation it feels like that we have in talking about the Browns offense, we talk about Deshaun Watson, as we should, and then we talk about the receivers. And we go through the receiving list, and it starts with how great you think Elijah Moore could potentially be, and then we know that Amari Cooper is solid, but how long is Amari Cooper going to be a Brown? That one's still left up in the air. Donovan Peoples-Jones, when we started having DeAndre Hopkins discussions, there was a real discussion whether or not Donovan Peoples-Jones would even make the team because... If you added Hopkins, DPJ would be a likely training camp trade. Probably wouldn't be on the roster. And that would still happen if that ends up going through, in my estimation. But as of right now, we're talking about Donovan Peoples-Jones. We're talking about David Bell. We're talking about all sorts of other people that could end up being a part of this team. And, you know, I I keep going back to the idea that they're going to throw so many wide receivers in the direction of Deshaun Watson, they're just hoping one of them sticks. One of them sticks in a big-time way that's not named Amari Cooper. Uh, a month ago, when Deshaun Watson was working out in Berea, it looked like Elijah Moore was going to be that guy that won that out. You know, Baker Mayfield's version of Rashard Hollywood Higgins, where they just they had a connection, it was instant, it felt like it just worked. I was talking a little bit about the wide receivers, and I was going through what we typically go through, and then... Somehow David Njoku's name got brought up in my brain. And somehow the idea of David Njoku and what he can be for this offense, I haven't been able to escape from my mind in the previous 24 hours. Now, I did see a CBS Sports article, and they were ranking the top tight ends, and David Njoku came in eighth. So if you want your launching point, there's your launching point. David Njoku, eighth best tight end in the NFL, according to CBS Sports. 
Am I crazy that I think that's going to be low when it's all said and done this year? And by low, I mean I think David Njoku can be a top-five tight end in the league this year. I believe the Browns are going to be asking David Njoku to not just be what we typically find David Njoku to be. And Joku's never had a 650-yard season in his entire career, but last year had the most yards he's ever had, had a combo lead for the most touchdowns he's ever had, had the most amount of receptions last year. Kevin Stefanski was starting to turn the page from a running back-led offense into a passing-led offense in the likes of what you see with Mahomes and Kelsey and what you see in different parts of the NFL historically with really good pass-catching tight ends. You know, Lamar Jackson wasn't asked to throw for a million yards every year, but Mark, ja- Mark, Mark Andrews, excuse me, and Lamar Jackson were connecting at a highly prolific rate. Even last year when he stumbled and didn't look as good, still ended up with 850 yards. David and Joku's role in this offense, the part I love the most is that it's not critical that he's great. But this is one of the ways that I feel like this Browns offense takes it to another level. 216-474 to below 92. On Twitter, there you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. Is this year set up for a big season for Njoku? And will this be the year that Njoku finally puts it all together? Or are you sitting there listening to me and you're saying, Jonathan, you are making my ears bleed. I don't want anything to do with David Njoku and relying on him. 216474 to below 92 on Twitter. There you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan. All righty, back out of here on the fan. It is Jonathan with you guys. I just can't tell if you guys aren't reliant upon David and Joku. Or if you're just like me and thinking, I can depend on him to be there. Uh, I, I really, I genuinely don't know. And, and it's funny, I was on this website, and, and listen, I, I'm not even going to shout out the website's name because the website is, it's for the gambling touts. It's the degenerates out there. It's not, listen, there's, there's no website that can actually predict the amount of games missed for any given player. The idea that this website even exists is basically banana land, and the concept, I don't have any sort of... I think it's it's Fugazi. There's just no other way to put it. it. It feels like the type of website that like a 1985 bookie would come up with and be like, yeah, see, I got this data. This data says this, and then uh, that's that's all it is. And then you're like, well, what, what data do you have? Well, the data I made up. Oh, okay, great, great. That's good data. So I was on this website because I was looking up David Njoku injuries because David Njoku's got this weird thing like Nick Chubb where Nick Chubb just never finishes a season. I mean, Nick Chubb gets there, but he – you know, 14 games, 15 games, 13 games. He never has 17. He never plays an entire season. David Njoku is a very similar human being in that regard. I can't explain it, but it feels like more times than not, you, you look up on the injury report and David Njoku is there for some reason, or all of a sudden he's in the doghouse and he's not playing games, and he never he never finishes a season. So I was on this website, and... This website was trying to predict, excuse me, not only where he is with tight end rank and everything, which they had him at eighth, the same spot as CBS Sports and their rankings. Most websites have him as the eighth 
somewhere between the eighth to tenth best tight end entering this year. And then, listen, I, I'm not, I've got no complaints on that. I think there's a clear cut elite group of top tight ends, the Kelseys, the Kittles, the Goddards of the world. And then it kind of drops off a little bit. And then you enter that like Waller territory where he's got a chance to be great. The Hawkinson territory where he's got a chance to be great. And then there's that next tier. And that's where, that's where Njoku fr- uh, falls in, right? Um, that's where Dalton Schultz is. Uh, Kyle Pitts is in that group, even though Kyle Pitts has a, a chance to go pretty high as well. And this Fugazi website that I was visiting was trying to predict how many games David Njoku would just not be there this year. And they guessed six. That was their number. They said, well, actually, no. The, the best part about this website was that it didn't guess in whole numbers how many games they would miss. The guess was 5.9 games, as if that could be a thing that you could do. But either way, they they projected out based off of the injuries that he's had in the past and the injuries that they expect him to have in the future that he would miss six games. And you're like, I have no idea how you got there. But I know last year you had two different injuries. You had the ankle injury and you had the knee injury that held him back. In the past, he's also had a hand injury. He also had a concussion. There's a, there's a certain amount of things. The reason why I have optimism for David Njoku, and I am withholding the idea He's not going to play an entire season because he just doesn't do that. And something's going to pop up at some point, and you're going to have to rely on Harrison Bryant. The reason why I have optimism for David Njoku, though, is the fact that with this offense, I feel like Kevin Stefanski is going to get a chance to truly use the tight end position in a way that he wasn't able to use before. Back when he was trying to fit three guys into a, a tight end role, that didn't make any sense. The Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku experience, let's be honest, it set back our views and our standpoint on the tight end position a long way. And then last year, Njoku just got to be Njoku. What was weird about last year is that he had games where he was awesome. Steelers game, Thursday night football. I remember I interviewed Njoku on the field after the game was done. No, I know. Look at me go. And and Joku was awesome in that game. There's a couple games here and there where you just turned around and you're like, oh, my goodness, where did this come from? How good is he? Sometimes you just forget that he is that good. I'm thinking about the one-handed grab in the Tampa Bay game. Do you guys remember that touchdown? One-handed grab. You're supposed to go make a one-handed grab as a tight end the way that he did. It looked like he was Odell Beckham Jr. If the if Odell Beckham Jr.'s big-time one-handed play for the Giants wasn't on the sideline and was in, like, the dead-ass center of the of the end zone. That, that was David Njoku in that play. Unreal athleticism. And he's shown flashes where you just think, my goodness, is he, he's got all the talent in the world. Stefanski's not going to have a running back system. He's not going to have a, an offense based off of the running game. He's going to have this offense where I truly do believe in my heart of hearts that Deshaun Watson's going to throw the ball 35 to 40 times a game. I don't think it's going to be Brady at the end of Tampa Bay type numbers where it was like 43, 44. I think it's going to be somewhere between 35 to 40 times a game. I think he's going to run the ball with Nick Chubb maybe like 10 to 15 times a game, and I think that role is going to be diminished even though Nick Chubb is going to have a bigger role in the passing offense. But I think utilizing Nick Chubb in the passing offense, utilizing David Njoku in the passing offense is going to be one of the keys for this Browns team to really take it to another level. 
And so I'm asking you guys, 216-474-0092, is this year set up for a big season for Njoku, and will this be the year that he finally puts it all together? We've gone six years of David Njoku. Six years of watching him be in the doghouse, be out of the doghouse, excuse me, be injured, be not injured, all these other type of things. We've gone six years of wondering whether David Njoku can finally put together that awesome season that we've all been waiting for. And for the first eight weeks of last year, we thought he was headed in that direction. And I think a lot of the reason why he was truly able to open it up and why he was able to show people what he can really do from a pass-catching perspective is because with Jacoby Brissett there and Deshaun Watson waiting in the wings, Stefanski was able to rip it. He was able to do what he wanted to do. He didn't have to go out there and rely upon anything or anyone. He was able to try to figure out what he had in David Njoku in a way that we hadn't been able to see before. And I feel like because we know when Joku is going to be on the roster for the next two years, regardless of what happens at the end of this season, middle of the season, he's basically committed for the next two years. I feel like the Browns are in a position to truly let David and Joku become that next tiered tight end wide receiver like you see with other situations across the NFL. I'm not suggesting you have to become Travis Kelsey. That's insane. Travis Kelsey is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is, for my money, the best tight end I've seen in the previous decade in the NFL. Really, it's just a shot at Gronk is all that is. It's like, do you like Gronk or do you like Travis Kelsey? At this point, I think Travis Kelsey is better than Gronk was. I think Gronk was amazing. I think Travis Kelsey is better than Gronk was. Go look at some of the postseason games for both of them. They're both incredible. But when Patrick Mahomes needs a bailout, Travis Kelsey's right there. Also, I think Travis Kelsey, there's a couple things I think Travis Kelsey's going to be remembered for that maybe Gronk won't be. Gronk's going to be remembered for like the Gronk spike, and people are going to think of him basically as the village idiot. Can't spell cat if I spotted him the C and the A. There's a lot of, a lot of awful things that Gronk is going to end up being remembered for that maybe Gronk doesn't want to be remembered for when it comes to, like, that part of himself. Whereas Travis Kelsey, the worst you got on him is he he did a version of The Bachelorette that didn't really work out, or a version of The Bachelor that didn't really work out. And uh, then that girl ended up turning around and calling him cheap. Okay, great. Worst you got on him is he, he's cheap. Fine, he'll live. But from a football perspective, he was and is as dynamic of a tight end as you're going to find. And there's something about his game that goes beyond just being athletic. And this is what I see with David Njoku at times as well. I am become more and more convinced in watching Travis Kelsey that there's an art to playing tight end that we don't talk about enough. Part of the reason why I thought it was really stupid of Travis Kelsey to go to that tight end university, that you know the little the little uh, camp they had with all the tight ends where they all met together. I think it was like was it Tennessee somewhere around there. And they had all the all the great tight ends in the NFL. They all met together up in one place. I thought it was a a just a boneheaded move by Kelsey because he was giving out all his secrets to all these other tight ends, as opposed to if you're the Chiefs, for instance, they just drafted a tight end. Wouldn't you want to just to stay in house? All the secrets go to the other tight end that you're teaching. But David Njoku's got some of those type moves. Travis Kelsey's not the quickest. He's not the fastest. He's certainly not even the most athletic. Travis Kelsey isn't the biggest. There's a lot that Travis Kelsey isn't. There is an art form to the tight end position and being able to run routes and being able to get open and having that trust with your quarterback. 
And part of why Mahomes and Kelsey work so well is because Kelsey can just freelance, figure out where he needs to go on the field in order to get open, and then Mahomes can hit him up. And that's not something you could do with Jacoby Brissett, and that's not something that even David Njoku and Baker Mayfield could pull off. You guys know I love Baker, but Baker was not a go-off script and let's see what happens quarterback. OBJ is exhibit A of all that. OBJ constantly wanted to go off script. Hey, uh, find me. I'll be open. I'm going to play that Tyreek Hill center field role. You throw it up there. I'll go grab it. I'll be open. Come get me. And Baker just refused to do it. I don't blame Baker for it. Listen, Baker, he knew what he could do, knew what he couldn't do. He didn't think he could do it, so he didn't do it. Can't blame him for it. But with Deshaun Watson, you're going to have more and more opportunities to do what Travis Kelsey does with Patrick Mahomes, and that is freelance. That is go get open. Go find your separation. Go get open. Make it happen. Move the chains. Let's see what happens. I think he's going to have a fantastic year. I think so many people are focused in on what's going to happen with Elijah Moore and Donovan Peoples-Jones, and all these things do matter. Having Elijah Moore hit after trading for a second-round pick and having him as young as he is on that rookie deal matters a ton. But David Njoku's on the books for the next two years, whether you like it or not. If David Njoku and Deshaun Watson can form a Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, and whoever the 49ers end up throwing out there, a Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson type connection that you really truly see with some of these top quarterbacks, top tight ends. And a lot of that is built on the idea that with these, with these tight ends, they can just, they can do their own version of, uh, making up plays on the fly, backyard football, and then end up in the right situation with a quarterback that can find them and then hit them in stride. So many things and so many parts of this Browns offense can be opened up when David Njoku is able to play like that, and then Deshaun Watson's able to hit him. And, again, no disrespect to Baker, no disrespect to Jacoby or anybody else that has quarterbacked the Browns over the previous few years. But one of the few things, there's a lot of things, but one of the few things I love about Deshaun Watson is talking about these type of little things that are just guaranteed if he's able to get back to being old Deshaun, guaranteed to make everyone else around him look better. And when it comes to the tight end position, he can do it in spades. Doesn't hurt that he's 26, by the way. Kittle's 29, Kelsey's 33, Evan Ingram is entering his age 29 season. Mark Andrews going to be 28. Tight ends are getting up there. Tight end you. It's really just a place for people to meet to go over their AARP options. It is. They, everyone's up there in age at this point. We could have one of the younger, oddly enough, one of the younger, really good tight ends in the NFL if Deshaun Watson can pull this off and make it work. Right now, he's still in like a tier three tight end situation, tier two if you're being generous. But I think the sky is the limit for David Njoku, which is not something you say about a player that is entering his seventh year in the league you think you would have already seen it if there was something to be seen but I, I saw enough glimpses last year enough moments where he showed you what he can do getting with Deshaun Watson I think is going to help him immensely now we just got to be able to stay healthy and to be able to stay on the field all right two one six four seven four to below 92 on Twitter there you can find me I am at Jay Peter and we're gonna talk to Pete Futek uh with college football and the latest around Pat Fitzgerald and also his thoughts on Ohio State that's gonna happen at 820 we come on back 
Joe Burrow talked about Jamar Chase. And in talking about Jamar Chase, he said the best players must be close to be a great team. Do the Browns get helped or hurt that they don't really have any sort of connection when it comes to best friends, when it comes to people that have played together for a lot of years? Does it help? Does it hurt? 216-474 to below 92. It's overtime with Jonathan Biddle here with you on The Fan. Pete Butek coming your way at about 820. I'm a Ryan Day defender now, in case you haven't gotten the news. I'm a Ryan Day defender. We'll find out whether or not Pete Futek is as well. Also, is rooting for a college football team that you didn't attend one of the lamest things that you can possibly do? All that and more coming up in just a little bit. I'm going to get a baseball thought in here before we go back to the NFL because we have the All-Star Game stuff going on, and I know this will be the last time I'll talk to you guys that want to watch the All-Star Game until the game is done. So I'm going to have you guys hear this now because I think it's going to be part of the rhetoric tomorrow, at least nationally. I don't think about locally from that perspective, but I gave baseball its credit in that when it came to Shohei Otani, I, I know Shohei Otani is a unicorn. I know he's a unicorn for a multitude of reasons. But I, where I was upset with baseball is that you have someone like Mike Trout who's got the personality of wallpaper, and Mike Trout spent a decade trying to be interesting and fascinating to us. And the, the best we could do with Mike Trout was that he was an Eagles fan. Congratulations. So was millions of other Philadelphians. Like, it's not, there's nothing special. It's not a personality trait being a diehard Eagles fan. Congratulations. You're, just, you're basically Bradley Cooper. Silver Linings playbook. He's an Eagles fan there. I know he's an Eagles fan in real life. Should I have gone It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia reference? No, that's a little too on the nose. A little too on the nose. Bradley Cooper was right there. The point is that Mike Trout couldn't buy into our day-to-day conversations, our day-to-day advertisements, our day-to-day Netflix shows. Couldn't buy into any of it. And I wondered if, if baseball just fell into Shohei Otani's greatness. And the worry I had there was I, I didn't know if baseball knew how to replicate what it had done. Like, I watch TikTok videos a lot. And Mr. Beast is not only one of the best TikTok video people, he is legitimately the best YouTube person on planet Earth. He makes hundreds of millions of dollars on YouTube. And I was watching this TikTok with Mr. Beast, and Mr. Beast was talking about the idea that he could take any Joe Schmo and turn them into a TikTok star and a YouTube star in six months, zero to six months. He could black out their face. He could do anything he wanted to do from his voice or whatever, and he could make just Joe Schmo a TikTok star because he knows how to, he knows the algorithm. He knows how people work first off, but he knows the algorithms and he knows how to make content that he thinks people will find interesting. He has proven time and time again, he's cracked the code into our brains, basically. You can't buy that. That is just, that's knowledge right there. That's what makes him special. And when it comes to Shohei Otani, I thought baseball didn't know how to market stars. I thought baseball had a marketing problem, and I was worried that unlike Mr. Beast, they wouldn't be able to replicate that. They'd be a one-hit wonder. You know, it'd be weird if Mr. Beast was so popular and he didn't know why he was so popular. That would be weird. That was basically baseball and my impression with Shohei Otani. They knew he was really popular, but he was such a unicorn, they didn't know how they could run that one back. And then L.A. De La Cruz entered our life. And for the first time in forever... I don't know if it's because Shohei Otani ended up being 
the blueprint for baseball, and so then they just understood what they had to do and how to follow that road. But what they did with Otani, it felt like they tried to copy and paste. And now all of a sudden, Ellie DeRoc Cruz, who has all of 130 plate appearances in baseball, is in Mission Impossible ads alongside Odell Beckham Jr. and legitimate mainstream music, video, artist people, movie stars, all these other type of things. I think the, the actual Mission Impossible ad had Alex Morgan, OBJ, and then De La Cruz. Incredible. They've all of a sudden, they found a way to pierce into mainstream media in a way that I didn't know baseball knew how to do. So you're going to see these ads with him. He's going to be in whatever Frito commercial or Pepsi commercial, all these other different types of things, and he's going to start popping up everywhere the same way that Shohei Otani started popping up everywhere. And, yeah, I've, I've told this story in the past couple of days, because I find it, I find it just to be remarkable. The fact that there, there was a report that outside of the Angels bus, there was legitimately four women just crying outside of the bus because they thought that they were so close to Shohei Otani. They couldn't see him. They just knew he was in that bus that was sitting there parked and they just started bawling their eyes out. I mean, that is Beatles level stuff. That is rock star stuff. The problem with the all star game and what's going on tonight though, is the fact that as much credit as I want to give baseball, because I do feel like they finally figured out how to market some of these guys, because Dela Cruz has been everywhere. And you can't be a sports fan and not understand what Dela Cruz, not only what he's done for the Reds, but what he's done for the sport. I've seen that clip of him, of him stealing second base, third base, and home more times than I've seen video of legitimately my four-and-a-half-month-old daughter. Like, I, I, like it's everywhere. It's it's nonstop. It's constant. But it was great because, it, it, again, it had you thinking about it in your brain. The problem with baseball tonight, though, is that baseball is going to send all these all-stars out there, and they're starting to do it right now. We have the pregame show on, and, and they're getting everything ready to go. And, and, and right now I'm watching all sorts of different players. They've rolled a literal red carpet out into the outfield to have these players Walk down the red carpet in what might be the lamest way you could possibly introduce an all-star. Red carpet giving handshakes to kids as they trot in from the outfield like they're a reliever in a 7-1 to meaningless ball game. Awful, awful execution by Major League Baseball here. But why I'm going to rip Major League Baseball is they didn't take advantage of the fact that L.A. De La Cruz is the second most popular player in the sport and has absolutely zero presence in this All-Star weekend. Shohei Otani has a blister on his finger, so he's not going to be able to do the Houdini parlor trick that he does, where he pitches and also hits. I believe he's still going to hit. So you're going to have an at-bat, and that's it, out of the two representations of the sport right now. And maybe De La Cruz flames out. It is what it is. I'm not entirely sure. Right now, he seems like he's something pretty special, though, and I think you want to hang on and hug special as close as you possibly can if you're baseball. But the point is, in a game like this, forget the fact that he's only got 130 plate appearances. Baseball needs to make an exception into the All-Star game for moments like tonight, and we can call it the grow the game exception. That's what I'm coming up. That's what I'm pitching to you guys right now. It'll be called the grow the game exception. 
And so you get into the All-Star game based off of the idea. And you can't do this every single year. I don't want to see just some random person from the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Red Sox all of a sudden get their ticket punched into the All-Star game because they have a fun week and a half. It's got to be legitimate. Rob Manfred comes down from his ivory tower and believes we've anointed this guy as something special. He's going to be a face of baseball for years to come. 125 plate appearances be darned. We don't care. Put him out there. Let's go. Why baseball isn't doing this is astonishing to me. This was the slam dunk. This is what they had to be doing the entire time. Get the stars out there in the biggest parts of the game. You're going to have 10 million eyeballs on you tonight. A lot of young, impressionable baseball fans. Are you telling me you wouldn't love to see De La Cruz out there stealing second base, third base, and home? Or even if not that, maybe hitting 450-foot dingers? I mean, are you kidding me? That's all baseball needs. That that, that stuff sells itself. But you got to have them there in order to do it. This is why baseball continues to fall short. Just when I think they got it right, just when I want to give them credit, you look into the biggest moment, the biggest stage they got, the Midsummer Classic, where they represent the biggest stars of the biggest stars, and the biggest stars aren't actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. But I've made this case in different areas of the All-Star game. It's why I said it was a travesty. And I use that term loosely, obviously. There are real travesties out there, but a, a sports tragedy that J-Ram wasn't starting at third base in tonight's game. Josh Young is starting at third base. Josh Young, a 25-year-old rookie that I would bet 98% of the listening audience right now, unless you're a Rangers fan, you don't know who Josh Young is. Everyone knows Jose Ramirez in baseball. Have the stars play the game. Have the stars be a star at the All-Star game. J-Ram's going to get one at bat in the fourth inning. Congratulations. That's our representation for this All-Star game. We got one at-bat in the fourth inning. If we're lucky, he'll have a second at-bat. I don't even know that that's promised, though. Baseball, missing it, missing it. De La Cruz needs to be there. If he's in the outfield serving beer to the people in the bleachers, he needs to be there in some capacity, and he needs to have his presence shown because we can't have this big of a weekend and have the second largest person in the sport, MIA. All right. Come on back. Let's go to the second largest sport uh, person in another sport, and that's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was talking about Jamar Chase. He said the best players must be close to be a great team. Do the Browns get helped or hurt that they don't really have that connection? Two one six four seven four double O ninety two on Twitter. There you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. Twitter reactions brought to you by our friends at Chapman Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. We'll do all that next. And then at 8.20, Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com, will join us, get you caught up on the latest with Fitzgerald, Northwestern, and also we'll check in on the Buckeyes as I'm now in Ryan Day's camp. I know, I know, surprising, but I'm in Ryan Day's camp. We'll do it all next right here on The Fan. 